The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6. We are going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount and the portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus tells us how to pray. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to read a section of what we're looking at this morning, and then we'll pray for God's help, and then we will look at this together. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to desire you to want you, and to be with you. And so, Father, teach us to pray as we pray. And, Father, reward us with who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know. um, We've been looking at the the book of Matthew. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount the last few weeks. And I don't know how this, uh, this series is hitting you or how you're processing through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but for me personally, it has begun to um, affect me in a deep way, uh, rewiring me in some ways, renewing my my sense of what it means to be a disciple. Um, it's funny, I picked this series because I thought it would serve all of us, and yet as we're working through it, uh, I think God had me in mind <laughs> and wanting to address me and reconfigure my own understanding of what it means to be a disciple because, um, you know, last week we looked at the rest of Matthew 5, and we could have gotten, you know, we could have bore down on what does it mean to not be angry, and what does it mean to not be lustful, and what does it mean not, what, what, you know, what is Jesus' thoughts on divorce and remarriage? We could have gone down on all these topics, and we touched on them, um, but we looked at the whole uh, section of it and saw that Jesus is actually getting at our hearts of what it means to want to be a disciple, right, to, to want to be like him, and I've found that even in my own heart, um, you know, it's funny being a pastor, you would think like, oh, like Jacob's got this whole discipleship thing down. And it's like, no, no, Jacob, you're still a doofus and you need to be addressed. And so I find myself addressed in what we've been looking at. And I find myself being addressed as we're looking at the Lord's prayer this morning and the sections around it. Because here we're looking at maybe, uh, this is probably the most famous part of the entire Bible, right? Most people, when they think of Jesus, or they know anything about the Bible, they know the Lord's Prayer, right? This has like a historic, everybody knows, Sermon on the Mount generally is what people talk about with Jesus, but the Lord's Prayer has kind of woven itself even into our English language where we talk about it and have phrases that come from the Lord's Prayer as a part of our natural life together. But we are going to be looking at verses 1 to 21, uh, and I find it fascinating the way Jesus starts out the prayer because he hits on 
the Lord's Prayer with the words, Our Father. And that captures a bit of the whole tone of what's going on in these verses. Because uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's 17 uses of the name Father to describe our relationship with God. And uh, 10 of them happen in this, set, in this passage that we're looking at from verses 1 to 21. Because uh, for Jesus, as he is introducing us to what it, what it means to be a disciple, to rewire us, he is introducing us to this fundamental new reality of how we relate to God. Um, one of the chief differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament, same God, but our relationship develops from being a Lord and Master, which is still true, to now being a Lord and Master who is our Father. And it's not our Father because we all shop at the same place or have the same political views or any of that. He is our Father, not because we're kind of like family, but because he makes us his family. He brings us into his family. And so as Jesus is addressing us and redefining for us what does it mean to be a disciple, he is fundamentally relating it and drawing it out of this relationship as a father with us. Because at the end of the day, what's going on here at the Lord's Prayer is that the father is near to us, right? You can't, you can't be a father and be totally absent forever. The father has drawn us to be near to him, which is, funnily enough, while we're talking about prayer here. And we, like, what does it mean to have a father? You talk to him, you know him, you live with him. And so that's why he gives us a prayer. But it's not just a prayer to say, here's how you pray, and then we all feel guilty about not being good at prayer <laughs> at the end of the day. Jesus is doing something brilliant. This is, I think, part of why this is, I'm so fascinated. I, um, my love for Jesus is being re, um, refreshed and rekindled because uh, he's not just saying, you're, you're bad at prayer, and so here we go. <laughs> here's prayer 101. Actually, he... Um, he goes in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So that's verse 1, and then you have in the middle of that the Lord's Prayer, and then in verse 21, it's kind of a, the bookend, the back end of this section, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus is not just giving us a lesson on prayers, and what does it mean to pray, He's actually giving us a lesson on motivation. What does it mean to live our life with the Father? Right, because he's not just saying like, oh, you people, you are horrible at praying. He's going after heart motivations. And funnily enough, what he uses is the language of rewards. He goes after rewards at going after the heart level. <laughs> Which, I don't know, I don't know about you, I just, that's where a part of this where I'm just kind of like, Jesus, like, what a brilliantly surprising move. I would not have thought, here, this is what it means to be a disciple. <laughs> and then you go after talking about rewards. <laughs> but he goes after talking about rewards, and he mentions rewards seven times in this passage. And I just say that it's safe. Father used 10 times, rewards used seven times. So when, when we kind of talk about what's the main point of this passage, I think we can just say disciples want the rewards of the Father. But that's at the heart of what's going on in this passage. This verses 1 to 21, as we're kind of grouping this together, he's talking about a lot about rewards and talking a lot about what does it mean to, for disciples to relate to God as our Father. And says, disciples want the rewards of the Father. So if we phrase it like that and we kind of look at this passage rather than just kind of zeroing in, which we eventually someday we'll come back and do a series on prayer and we'll delve down into this and we'll do like 20 sermons on the Lord's Prayer. But this morning, we're just going to look at this whole passage and see disciples want the rewards of the Father 
And Jesus kind of does that by going after us, after our hearts, getting not only under our skin, but under the motivations of our hearts by giving us this prayer. And so what he does kind of in the surrounding passages of the Lord's prayer is we have, he has a little teaching on giving, he has a little teaching on prayer, and he has a little teaching on fasting. But all those go after this main dynamic of disciples want the rewards of the Father. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and then kind of break out from that. We're going to start with the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at the first, pa- first illustration of giving. We're going to start with the Lord's Prayer and then go to the second illustration of prayer. And then we're going to start with the Lord's Prayer and go to the third illustration of fasting and look at what God's doing there to try to help retool and rewire our motivations. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the first thing that I think Jesus is going after with our motivations, and we're going to see the disciples want the reward of giving. So Jesus, this is his prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. At the heart of what Jesus is doing with with our relationship with the Father is he's going after our daily need for provision, right? And the, the, the cool thing here, the, the thing to notice is that our Father is eager to give, right? He says in verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him, right? So you can kind of get in this, well, if he already knows, why ask? Well, he's not a vending machine. He's a person, and he wants to relate with us like a person. I mean, like with my children, like I get a little annoyed when they get a little presumptuous upon my free rent, free room and board, <laughs> you know? The father is not annoyed with our needs, but he wants us to come to him, right? He's eager to provide. And so if that's kind of the, the, the prayer dynamic of that relationship with the father, I wonder if that's why Jesus goes after giving to start out with, right? As this functional daily need, we need God to experience the Father giving. And then, but Jesus goes up to verse two. Thus, you, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret." And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So you see, here's, that's where we're getting this rewards of giving. Because Jesus says, when you give, not, well, if you give. I think what Jesus is picking up with the prayer is, if you live in the dynamic of, my father in heaven is a giving father, you're going to become a giving person. And so it's not like, well, if you decide to give, no, people who are given to and know what it's like to receive freely, they're going to be givers. <laughs> so, but Jesus doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just say like, well, now go give. <laughs> this is the brilliance of Jesus. He hooks right, right under our hearts because he, he says, it's not that you need to be a giving person, right? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Why? Because they gave with pomp and circumstance, right? At the time of the, at the, time of the day, what they would have done, they would have, uh, if you've ever been on Elm Street, it's similar to kind of Elm Street, right? We've got folks who are homeless and needy, and they're asking for stuff, and then it would be kind of like me going up like, okay, Jay and Matt, all right, hey guys, take pictures of me <laughs> as I give, 
<laughs> they they would have been like, I mean, literally, they would have had like trumpets. Look, I'm giving away my, you know, like it, it would have been like a real deal. They were drawing their attention because look at how generous this person is. Like they're so generous. Well, if that's their motivation to be seen as generous, well done, you got your reward. <laughs> it's all done. But Jesus is getting after the why you give. And it's not, this is the part of it where it's just, I, I, I'm still fascinated by this because he says, no, verse four. So give, so give in secret, right? And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He's holding out. No, your motivation to get the reward of others' praise is the problem. But wanting the reward isn't the problem. It's the source of where you go for your reward. You go to the father. Like, do you want the father's reward? He, he wants to reward you. That, that's not how I would have designed Christianity if it had been up to me. <laughs> you know, you, you're supposed to give because that's your duty and you just better give. But Jesus gets after our self, like our self-interest in a certain way. He says, no, 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 it's, it's okay to want to be rewarded, right? But are you going to the, are you giving so that you get rewarded by the Father? And there's one other dynamic here I want to pick up before we move on. This whole prayer, if you look back at verse 11 with me, give us this day our daily bread. If you know anything about pronouns and grammar, we tend to read this and think, give me this day our daily bread. But Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. The pronoun usage, he says it's a plural, it's our. And you look back up at verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So there's, and later in the New Testament, Paul talks about the church as a body, and Jesus is using plural language. I think Paul's using, picking up this body image for the church from Jesus, this sense of giving here. Like it's, it's a body image, right? Your left hand, your right hand, how does that happen? But Jesus is using a plural dynamic to say, this is not just something that like a, a you and Jesus, this is a community dynamic, right? So he's not saying, don't ever give so that other people don't know that you're giving. He's getting after the, the motivations. It's, this quote from uh, William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas, names of scholars. I don't know how you name children to have names of scholars, but somehow they have names and they were born to be scholars. There may be religions that come to you through quiet walks in the woods or by sitting quietly in the library with a book, which I know many of you enjoy, or rummaging around in the recesses of your psyche. Christianity is not one of them. Christianity is inherently communal a matter of life in the body, the church. Jesus does not call isolated individuals to follow him. He called a group of disciples. You see, our giving for reward does not mean that we're totally independent from other people and that we just kind of give under the table. But we're a family eager to surprise and support each other. Right. So the reward of the Father is ultimately to give us heaven and earth <laughs> together, right? That's what Jesus says, it starts it out. Verse five of, of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. <laughs> so 
there's a communal dynamic where Jesus wants us to be giving, and he's not saying don't give in a communal church context, right? That's why we send out emails like, hey, somebody has a need, can we help them, right? This is, can you support, can you help, can you surprise and bless? But are we living in such a way that we are generous so that heaven is our inheritance, heaven is our retirement plan? I think Jesus is getting under our skin here because he wants us to to bank on getting rewarded with heaven. He wants us to bank on beachfront property in Florida Keys for eternity or whatever the Father's reward is for people who suffer through New Hampshire winters. But God wants us to give in such a way that the Father is our reward. The Father gives us rewards for giving. So, if Jesus is talking about this, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, and we're seeing how giving, we want to give, but we want the reward of the Father, right? That's good to want the reward of the Father for giving. He will reward us with all eternity and all heaven and earth. Drop down to verse 5, we're going to see that Jesus goes after another motivation. Disciples want the reward of mercy. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. For your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus is is holding out, again, this cultural dynamic where they would make these gigantic prayers um, kind of spontaneously done in uh, in a church context kind of like this. And guys would get accolades and praises for doing such a good job of being eloquent with their words in public, which is to say, guys like me, whose job it is to stand in front of people and to talk about Jesus and to pray and to lead people in worshiping God, there is a special danger (laughs) to my job. So pray for me because this is not, um, I don't want to become just kind of a panderer of words and pray when I'm getting paid for it, right? So Jesus is going after the heart motivation, right? I mean, again, this is reward. You want the rewards of prayer. You want the rewards of mercy. So that's why I think he drops down in verse 12, right? So give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have been, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Right, this is, um, this is maybe one of those challenging verses in the Lord's Prayer. It's probably the most challenging verse in the Lord's Prayer. Like, how do... I thought that we were like, it's a free grace sort of religion, right? You're freely forgiven. And then Jesus kind of introduces this phrase of conditionality, like, well, you're not going to be forgiven if you don't forgive other people. He even highlights it even more, verse 14, for if you have forgiven others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. (laughs) This is tricky, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys feel the sudden tension of like, whoa, like is Jesus being a, like, like a legalist here? <laughs> Jesus of all people, right? The guy who, has, who is the center of the religion of grace and free mercy. I think what's going on here is that if we forgive, it is evidence that we have experienced forgiveness, right? It's evidence of our identity in the Father, right? That's why he, 
remember, this is a prayer that starts out. The beginning of the Lord's, uh, of the whole Sermon on the Mount is repent. Repentance is how we come into the heavenly, in the, into the Father's family. And then the beginning of the prayer is our Father, right? And the end of verse 15 is your Father, right? So there's a, there's a security in our identity and who he is. But there's also recognition. The way we came to be a part of the Father's family is through his forgiveness, right? That's, that's how we came in, and that's how we walk under him, right? That's, so this is, not, this is not saying, like, well, if you don't forgive other people, God kicks you out. <laughs> that's not, I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. Mercied people, people who have received mercy, mercied people give mercy. There's no serious prayer of forgiveness except on the lips of one who's been forgiven. Our spiritual health, I think, depends on our experience of mercy. But then, I don't know, maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, so, all right, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, right? We want to be merciful, forgiving people. But does that, does that kind of... Um, diminish the sin, the power of sin, the nature of the sins that have been committed against me. Right? There's a bit of a sense of like, does this kind of create like a divine rug that kind of puts all the horrible sin that's been committed against me under that, right? It's, it feels like this prayer comes off as saying like, well, okay, uh, forgive others as you've been forgiven. So I'm going to, it seems to diminish the horrendousness of what people have done to me at times, right? Because now if I don't forgive them, and it's, it's evidence that I haven't been forgiven, right? I think, I don't know if you guys have been watching the national news, um, but I think we got a picture of what Jesus means in this verse uh, by a woman named Rachel uh, Den Hollander uh, from this last week. Uh, the, I don't know if you guys saw the national gymnastics situation that's been going on and Larry Nasser and his court system and more than uh, close to 200 women coming into the courtroom and telling him this is what your sexual abuse did and caused. Um, but she has this, she was the one who started the whole thing. She started out by, by being the first one to make a public uh, accusation and detailing that, and then she was the, fa the last one to speak in court. Um, and this is a section out of her, her testimony in court. Right? So Larry Nasser, who's the man who violated and abused her, he's been coming to court with the Bible, so that's the context for this quote. She says, you spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you've read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good deeds or doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done and all its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen, this courtroom, what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says that it's better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble and you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you have carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out upon men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt 
will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. She's saying this in court to him. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And we'll be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that someday you may experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. I mean, these are, I mean, these are holy words. This is somebody who deals with the reality of mercy because mercy does not mean when Jesus tells us you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He is not lowering the bar of sin. He's clarifying the truth of justice. Mercy often speaks the clarity of justice of what has been done and what is going on, right? Mercy does not diminish the truth of telling what sin really is. It puts it in the face of our just and gracious king. Right, Jesus will come back, and he will execute justice. And the mercy that we pray for, that we want the reward for here, is to put it in, in categories that Rachel put it, put it in. What you have done is horrible, and there is justice to be served for that. And you must face up to the full reality of what has happened. But it also faces up to the reality of who we are before that holy God. So when we pray for the rewards of mercy, maybe that's an odd way to pray for it, to phrase it, but maybe it means that we become more like Rachel, become more merciful people who don't diminish the realities of needing mercy. We become more like a father who's eager, right? Paul talks about him as being the father of mercy, right? First, Second Corinthians 3. He is the father of mercy, and in our prayers, to be merciful, the reward that we want is not only to be like him, but to see him for who he is and see the reality and fruits of justice and mercy raining down in this world. I just deal with that because I know that that prayer can come across to me and come across to many victims as well as being like just a grace rug. And I think that this is not what Jesus has in mind. But what Jesus is doing for us is he's playing out this picture, right? This is the daily prayer that he's holding out for the life of the church. What does it mean to be a group of disciples? A life, he started out, the, the, the practical side of it, right? Our Father who is in heaven, how to be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? There's a daily dynamic. God, we need your daily provision. And then another daily thing we need is we need to be merciful people because God, we daily need your mercy, and so he goes on to then describe another, life, another aspect of our life as a disciple. Disciples want the rewards of holiness. So verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right, I, I want to connect this to fasting. So that's where we're going with this. I want to connect it to fasting, but I want to I lay it out in this way, right? When, when Jay preached for us from uh, Matthew 3... Four, sorry, Matthew 4, the temptations of Christ. What was being offered there were new masters to Jesus. Who, what's going to be Jesus' master? Temptations are offering us mastery by something else, right? Whether 
it's money, whether it's uh, power, whether it's um, some way of just getting the kids to be quiet and getting our world in order on our terms, or whether it's getting uh, that promotion at work because we're manipulating the system, right? It's, it's a mastery of something other than God, right? We're submitting ourselves to, through the temptation, to something other than God, but that doesn't mean that temptations are sin, right? Sins are, temptation's not wrong, but temptation offers us, us a new mastery, which is why Jesus, I think, goes on then to say in verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like, your hi- like hi- the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces with their fasting, um, they, that their fasting may be seen by others. By the way, I, I just apply that whenever I've done fasting, it means I drink coffee. Because if I don't drink coffee, I'll have a real mean face. <laughs> I think that's kind of like cultural application. Or tea for Bill. Yeah. Right. Truly I say to you, uh, when you ha- they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your, your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Right. We, we fast in many ways, to uncover and, and uh, diminish the mastery of other things upon us, right? We, we fast from social media, we fast from food, we fast from movies, we fast from, you know, uh, carbs, I guess. But we fast from all these other things to show, like, what is mastering of our own, what masters our heart. That's what, I, Piper, John Piper has a book called A Hunger for God. It's, by the way, it's free on Desiring God. I mean, you, so you can download it and it's, 10 bucks on Amazon or something like that. But he says, fast, he says this, fasting helps cultivate that spiritual hunger by forcing the hunger issue on us and making us ask if we really do hunger for God. Ultimately, we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything this world has to offer us, right? We fast, the, the, the desire for fasting and the practice of fasting purifies it helps us uncover the mas- those things that have mastery over us and helps us grow in our holiness, right? The, the desire for holiness is not a bad thing, right? We're all for holiness. We want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like him. We want to be more committed to God, more committed to his mission, more um, holy in our lives with him. And fasting, because it, it heightens our sense of, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever fasted, like whenever I fasted, like after like 12 hours, my sense of hunger is just like, or my sense of f- smell, like for food, is just like out the roof. <laughs> like I could walk into a house with like just a, a peanut butter sandwich, like in the top closet, like top room closet, like in the back of the house. <laughs> like, like, pe- peanut butter, like <laughs> protein, calories, <laughs> give it to me, you know. And that's after 12 hours. It's funny, this week I was preparing this sermon and I was working through this passage I don't know if you guys know, like, I share office space with John uh, Rivera, who's the pastor of Hope Tabernacle, and I'm like, so how are you guys doing? What's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, it's a week of prayer and fasting, and I'm like, this is, like, during lunch. I'm, like, chowing down, like, on my, like, bowl of, you know, whatever it is, chili, or I'm just, like, stuffing my face, and he's like, yeah, like, we're fasting all week. I'm like, well, how long are you fasting? Well, I started fasting on Sunday, and I'm going until Sunday this next week, and it's, like, Wednesday, and I'm like, oh, sounds really hard. <laughs> Like, here I am, I'm preparing a sermon on fasting and chowing down, and you're, you're four days into fasting. I don't, even, I don't even know if I've ever fasted for four days. 
But that I told John it was because he's way down the road. He's more holy than I am, so I might as well just give up now, you know. <laughs> so Jesus commends fasting as kind of like an application of deliver us from our temptations as a way of controlling our own hearts and checking our own souls. Like, so maybe for us, like, all right, here's the thing. We're not Catholics, right? But we got Lent coming up, and Lent is just an opportunity to check our own hearts. However you want to practice Lent, that's, we're not doing it with ashes and, you know, you get some extra merit or anything like that. But it's just a helpful time in the life of the church to be able to say, like, okay, I'm going to check my heart because Jesus came to die to save my heart for myself. <laughs> and so maybe for you, it might be for this coming Lent season, giving up uh, social media or I wouldn't recommend food, but maybe like, you know, whatever, there's a, whatever you feel like has a mastery over you in a way that distracts your attention and love for the Father, whatever distracts your attention and love for Jesus, maybe that's something to give up for 48 days. I think you can make it. But I think that Jesus wants to do that to help us desire to grow in holiness. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reward for holiness. Jesus holds this out for us. He, he is going after our motivations. Do you want the reward of knowing and enjoying God forever. Like, he, he wants to reward us because it, it's, and it, again, it's, it sounds odd to keep using that language, but Jesus, you know, verse 18, your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's right in the text. He wants to reward you for your desires and faithfulness and fight against your own heart to grow in holiness. He wants to reward you. And it, it's not like it, who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, this is just the, the thing I want to hold out for us. The more we want to grow in these things, the Father will reward you. <laughs> right? It's a promise. He's going to do it. By the way, just one of the things, some of the rewards now of fasting and praying and growing in holiness, some of the rewards are having more of a hunger for God's word, more, more of his word in our heart, more of the spirit's present in our, presence in our lives. As we not only check the, the, our hearts, our mastery, the spirit grows in his influence in our hearts. We pray for the advance of the mission of the gospel through the world, and we see God answer those prayers. Right, just so you know, like the Englands, we had the Englands here who were going to Thailand um, for a 10-year mission, you know, mission work. They they're there now. Like we, they were here with us like six months ago. They're there now. They just landed in Thailand. They are on the ground and moving. So God is answering our prayers, and I think using that to refine our own commission, our own sense of mission here. We pray for God's return, for Jesus' return. Right. That's what we, when we when we are praying this prayer and checking our own hearts with fasting. We're desiring the rewards of holiness. Our hearts become more in tune with God's mission and his plan. And we see God begin to answer that. So the, these aren't just kind of like, oh, they kind of like coincidentally come to ha happen. They're, they're the response, they're the, the response of God to what he's doing in our lives. All right, we're going to end now with verses 19 to 21. We've been looking at all this passage, and then Jesus has maybe some uh, words that we're very familiar with. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right? I'm going to end this just by looking at disciples want the reward of the Father himself. Right, this is, you realize that Jesus is going after our self-interest. He, he's going after, there's a desire to be interested in your own self-preservation, your own health and life, and your own rewards. It's, it's weird. Jesus doesn't say it's bad to want rewards. I mean, even as we're looking at this, he's saying, look, you want treasure that's going to last? Well, uh, don't put your retirement plan here. Put it there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right, I think Jesus is going after our heart's desires for the Father himself, right? Not just the provision and gifts of the Father, but the Father himself. Because Jesus starts out, verse 1 of chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness, right? So there's a root beware of, it's not don't do this, but beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. So don't do it for that motivation, but living a life with God, being a disciple of Jesus so that you find your reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 1, and he ends verse, two, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Your, your, the treasure, your reward, your desire is hooked in the Father himself who is in heaven. Right, he want, wanting him and his gifts. Right? It's a good thing to want God's gifts on his timing based on his promises. This is not, uh, hey, health and wealth, okay, now we're gonna pray, <laughs> pray the money of God into our lives now. That's because then you're not wanting his, you're wanting his gifts and not him. But it's a but Jesus is going after our motivations. We want God's gifts and him, and so we want them on his timing, in his plan, when he wants to give them. Right? We become like we, we become like the Father. We want to be with him, and we want what he's doing. Right? This, I don't know if you guys noticed with Silas, our youngest one, we call him my shadow because he follows me around, and he just kind of like does wherever I want and wants whatever I'm eating. It, it's not good if it's on his plate. It's good if it's on my plate. He wants to kind of follow me around and... That's kind of, that's a picture of what we are. We want to be with the Father, which is, funnily enough, you know the way you do that? Pray. (laughs) Jesus is holding out for us the Lord's prayer in the context of wanting to be rewarded with God himself, wanting him and wanting his rewards. Just so you know, Jesus is very earthy about this. We tend to kind of think about the Christian life and kind of like a semi, like Jesus Buddhist sort of thing, right? Where it's like, we want Jesus, but we don't want we don't we don't want anything to do with this the world or getting like the things or the gifts of God, and so we're just going to kind of like you know ha- I'm just going to do this because I want to, and it's like a good thing to do. You know what I mean? Like it's like I want I'm just going to be a good person and love other people and serve my neighbors uh, because it's just the right thing to do, and I'm not really thinking about like what this means for me and rewards for eternity. And Jesus is saying, no, it's good to want to be rewarded for for loving God and loving people and loving your neighbor. It's good to want that. It's so much good to want that, that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make all the colors brighter. He's going to make all the world cleaner. And he's going to restore everything and make it his home. And then he's going to come and live with us forever, right? That the Father's going to come. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going to live with us on earth forever. He, he's offering earthy 
kind of dusty prayers. <laughs> we want the rewards of God because God loves his creation. He loves to use it to bless us. But ultimately, we want God himself. God is not, if there's anything that this prayer teaches us, is that he is not inconvenienced by our needs, our need for daily provision, our need for a daily sense of mercy, our need for a daily sense of, God, I want to be like you and follow you for holiness. He's not inconvenienced by those needs in our lives. He wants to reward us. He wants to bless us. He wants to live inside our needs and provide for them. The Father is seeking to reward you. And disciples want the Father's rewards because they want the Father himself. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer as our confession of faith for this month, for this, for this week. Father, we thank you for how you eagerly desire to bless us and to reward us. Father, we, we want your rewards because we want you. Father, this is not just a prayer to be done in a religious way. Father, we want you. We want to know you. And so, God, we pray that you would, you would fill us with a sense of your reward, your pleasure, and your happiness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.